It's uh it's like the ground it's like Groundhog's Day, honestly. It's it's once a year. It comes out once a, once a year. It's Fitz Magic. Fitz Magic and Groundhog's Day. <laughs> and, and and honestly, I I hate that Fitz, uh, that Fitzpatrick is starting. I want like Ryan Fitzpatrick deserves this chance just once a year to come in for a guy. They bench the starter uh he's, he's throwing too many picks. He comes in, sees his shadow, puts on a show. And then stinks for a couple weeks, goes away, and then uh, you wait and you forget about him. And the next year, like that's why I hate the Fitzpatrick as a starter right now, is because you don't. It doesn't seem right. Like it doesn't seem right. But I'm glad he and showed up again. That would be again. that would be a sustainable model for him to play well into his fifties. If you just throw the guy in for one game a year, spell some time, he could keep that magic going for well, totally a couple more decades. It's like it's exactly why I feel like Gardner Minshew. Like he just needs to copy that. Like you play well enough. Now you'll just always be a backup, and once a year you come in, you do something crazy, and we'll go, ah, that's right, Gardner Menchie, ah, that's right, Ryan Fitzpatrick, he's <laughs> yeah. the man. And then it goes away after a couple of weeks, and then you wait again. You're like, ah, oh, that's right. You always forget about Groundhog's Day. You never know when it's coming. When the hell is Groundhog's Day? I have no idea. All I know yeah, is once yeah. a year it just ha- happens. Like, oh, that's right, it's Groundhog's Day today. All right, cool. You're reminded it exists still. That's how I felt about Thursday night with Fitzmagic. And man. and he's you know he's a hairy little critter out there on, <laughs> on the field. So. I didn't even put that together. That's on you. That's on you. That, that works on there as well. But um, you know Harvard grad still getting it done. Hey man, ride this out as long as you can. I applaud the man. It's incredible. That's hysterical. That's great. All right, welcome everyone to the Football Lounge. Here we are finishing up week three of the NFL season. It's already flying by. I mean, we're already three weeks of games in, and we got a great one coming up here tonight on Monday night as well. But, man, yeah, it's flying by. This happens every year, and, you know, even more so this year with all the anticipation of sports coming back in general. Um, I, you know, and no preseason to kind of get you prepared and ready. It's kind of just boom off to the races right away it's been a blast so far some really good games uh each week that we've talked about here and uh got another slew of them this past sunday so we'll uh obviously have a stack show here for you we're going to talk about uh, our reaction to week three of the nfl season mark and i also have a a good bold strategy cotton segment coming up for you uh some interesting quotes from two players uh regarding a big matchup uh, and then Mark and I, obviously, with our main headlines, and there's going to be quite a, you know, a few elements uh, this week in the main headlines for sure. I'm sure you folks can guess at least one of them, but we'll get to that when the time comes. Give me my time. Uh, so absolutely, absolutely, we'll we'll have plenty. I have of to time build. To go I have to that. build up to it. The suspense, the uh, the anticipation is growing by the second. <laughs> All right. Well, before we get to our talk about the uh, opening act, which is our, our week three discussion. Do a little bit of a throwback here on this day in football history. This is something we'll plan to do throughout the football season. September 28th, 1951, going back a ways, Rams quarterback Norm Van Brocklin set an NFL record that still stands to this day with 554 passing yards, defeating the New York Yanks. Not Yankees, just the Yanks. <laughs> I, I honestly, I, I didn't even know that that Forgot was, that uh, was a team. an NFL team. Yeah, 100%. But uh, 
yeah, there you have it. Norm Van Brocklin, blast from the past right there over 60 years ago, almost 70 years uh, to this day. See, that's that's what's crazy, Marcus, when you think about, um, you know, the evolution of the game of football, especially over the recent decades, how much passing has become that much more involved. But then you go back and, and look at, you know, the Sid Luckmans who were throwing, you know, lighting up the scoreboard, throwing over 300 yards. It's like, you know, as much as it is more of a mainstay nowadays, it was still very much a part of the game way back when. Oh, 100%. Well, and, and guys who could take advantage of it when they could, they burn people, and they would put up these ridiculous 100%. stat lines. And, uh, and because you still had guys back then, it's like, oh, uh, during the week, coach, I can't make practice day because I got to work my second job as like a carpenter. And uh, so <laughs> right, sorry, yeah. I can't study uh, the passing game for the uh, Norm Van Brocklin and what he's about to torch me um, as a defensive back. I got to go paint houses today. Uh, so, yeah, it is it is crazy. But uh, it's uh, for all the young uh, young listeners out there. Hey, the NFL, the guys used to be able to, uh, to whip the with the pit skin around even back then. It's crazy that it's still a record. I mean, I know we've had our fair share of 500 yard passing games, but 554, that's obviously that's. It's getting dangerously close to 600, which seems kind of unfathomable. But, I mean, we'll, we'll see. That, you know, Russell Wilson may be well on his way to breaking that record at some oh, point. The man. amount of times he's throwing, that's I, quite something. I it's, Talk about, let's, I mean, I talk about wanting to, I want to jump right into that game, that's for sure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, so let, let's do it. Here we go. We, week three recap. Obviously, uh, we, we talked about the, the Thursday night game slightly there with the Fitzmagic continuing against the Jaguars. Uh, Dolphins kind of routing them there. And then uh, just a, a full slate of games on Sunday uh, where, you know, few teams going to 0-3, few teams going to 3-0. and We're starting to see, you know, even more uh, of a rhythm uh, for some of these teams kind of coming together, the identity continuing to become more clear. So, yeah, Mark, let's jump into that that afternoon game. Uh, the 425 slot there between the Seahawks and the Cowboys. Russell Wilson, I mean, we talked about it, you know, a couple weeks ago, how that was your MVP train. Um, I certainly think, you know, he's clearly the front runner uh, for that right now, but he continues to show it. I mean, it, it's just, it's incredible week in and week out. And he almost had a sixth touchdown there if DK Metcalf uh, wasn't silly with the football. Well, let's be honest, 14 touchdowns to three games, NFL record. He's uh, he's uh, over pa- the Patrick Mahomes, Peyton Manning pace. Uh, it's incredible what he's doing right now. But uh, more importantly, what I felt about this game is, again, you're just learning more about who these teams are. You know, that's why I love week three, uh, you know, week two through week like five, six, seven. You just start to really learn who these teams are. And then can they change that? Can they can can they make changes throughout the year to, to change your opinion on stuff? So what I felt about the 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 Seahawks going into the year, it's just reiterating how strongly I feel about Russell Wilson and dominating and those weapons, Lockett and Metcalf. You know that's a receiving core at the beginning of last year. You kind of scoff at. You're like, oh, Metcalf seemed kind of like a reach. Lockett's undersized, but they work so well with Russell Wilson. Greg Olson really becoming a part of that offense. Uh, the offense for Seattle looks great. It, the offensive line getting a little shaky, some injuries. I hate that move that uh, that Hill from the Cowboys did uh, to Carson there, wrote, like the 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 knee, the the Gator wrap thing that, that they was, did. Yeah, that was. Awful. It looked nasty as soon as I saw it, and you could tell it was one of those things that heavy fine. I wouldn't even be shocked if there's suspension. Maybe that's one of those things they got to get out of the game. Uh, the NFL protecting guys' knees and stuff like that. 
uh, for uh, defenseless players at that point. He's already down. I mean, he is down and, and, and hit the ground. But again, the Cowboys revealing themselves more what I thought they would be. Uh, you and I, neither of us, I think, had the Cowboys making the playoffs. Uh, you yep, were a little yep. higher on them than I was. We had a, a good debate about them. But again, it's just what I think the Cowboys are. They are all flash, no substance. They will they will beat the bad teams that let them in games. They will come close to the good teams, but ultimately not make the play. Dak Prescott, Prescott you know, racks up a ton of yards. But there's just uh, no special. There's none of that special with Dak where it's like, you see the special with Russ. We'll talk about the Sunday night game. You saw a lot of special from the quarterback position in that game. Didn't see it from Dak. And uh, Cowboys fall to one and two. Uh, The NFC East, man, it is one of those hot potato of no one uh, seems to want to win it right now. No one seems to want to take a foothold. Honestly, it looks like that, that division could be won by seven and nine at this point. We'll talk, I'm sure, more about that later. Uh, but uh, the NFC least is uh, exactly what we both predicted would be the worst division, and uh, it is showing up that way, uh, certainly. Uh, so my thoughts on that, obviously expected the Seahawks to win. Uh, the Seahawks still roll. Cowboys put up a lot of yards when it doesn't really matter and a lot of big stats, but ultimately uh, are showing themselves to be what I, we think they're going to be, about 8-8, eight and eight, miss the playoffs. And you could talk about game script all you want, but at the end of the day, now we're three games in, and Dallas – leads the NFL in passing grade. Yeah. Mean, they're 60 they're throwing 60% of the time. That you have Ezekiel Elliott there, you should be able to run the football and look this comes as no surprise with Mike McCarthy. We knew that he was a, you know, much more air raid type of head coach than he is a pound the rock guy, but at the same time, you have an all-pro running back. Um this this is very much a reason why these games are going the way they're going. I mean, they're one onside kick away from being 0 and 3. They're going this way because they're not really controlling the clock very much. They're not establishing any sort of rhythm or identity. They're just slinging it. And, yeah, with the weapons you've got, every now and then it's going to stick. But this is, you know, as I mentioned last week, this is not sustainable. This is not a sustainable way of playing football games. You're constantly trying to hang around and just hoping for something to break. You're not going to get those onside kicks, uh, you know, five times a year. You're not going to get no. them more than once, honestly. So I, I think the trouble's on the horizon. The, the, but honestly, the the state of the NFC East right now is probably most favorable to the Cowboys, given the fact that the Eagles had such a rough, slow start and the fact that, you know, Washington is still very much uh, in its youth in terms of developing itself. The Cowboy. this is still – the Cowboys are lucky to be in it right now with this, with, with how they've played through three weeks and they're, you know, tied, <laughs> you know, they're, they're right there in the hunt for the, for the East. So it benefits them the most there. I couldn't, um, I, no, I couldn't agree more, you know, and looking and looking ahead then the other game that, you know, I jumped out to me right away, obviously Sunday night, the battle between uh, the Packers and the saints and Dan, I, and I want your thoughts on this because you, you were high on the Aaron Rodgers revenge tour last week. And we talked a lot about that. Rodgers looked great. I mean, the flick of the wrist throw to, to Lazard was just nasty. Um, yes. Both of these teams, though, what I took away from this was uh, both of these teams are capable of competing for a Super Bowl when they have their guy, when you have Adams healthy and when you have Michael Thomas healthy. What worried me a little bit is even though the Packers offense was humming, Without Adams, that offense does look different, and it and and there's so much there's so much that Adams does well, and I'd argue he's you know definitely a top five receiver in this league in my opinion, 
and what he does in the route tree that he runs, giving making it easier for Lazard, easier for Valdez-Scantley, easier for Jones. You need him, and you need him healthy, and the Saints need Thomas healthy. And I'll say this. I, you know, Drew Brees, at this point, it's honestly, it's getting a little hard to watch because this is just not the Drew Brees. Now, I know they put up that stat, and, and Collinsworth's a big Drew, you know, defending Drew Brees hardcore last night in the broadcast. Well, hey, you know, over the past you know, four years, they've always been towards the bottom of the league in, in air, uh, pass through the air, you know, yards per, you know, attempt to through the air. But you know what? They also haven't won a Super Bowl in any of those years. They haven't, and they've, they've shown in the playoffs in all of those years when defenses clamp down and when they take stuff away and you playing better defenses, you cannot dink and dunk your way to a Super Bowl win. And, I mean, Dan, look, I mean, let's look at the box score. Besides the Alvin Kamara 52-yard touchdown, which was amazing, that pass play, and Kamara is brilliant, and Collins, Incredible effort. Collinsworth's yeah. getting a little crap online for saying Kamara might be the best back in the league. I, I, I would be hard pressed to argue that he is. Him and Christian McCaffrey are the prototype for what you want in a back right now, and uh, Kamara is balling out this year right now. And, and I mean, it's again that's a silly debate. But besides that fifty-two yard long pass, which was all Kamara, that was like a negative yardage throw that he turned into it. The longs, right. I mean, Emmanuel Sanders, a long reception of eighteen yards, but not a lot of that through the air. Smith, uh, long reception of 19 yards. Cook, long reception of 13 yards. Trotman, long reception of 10 yards. I mean, this is dink and dunk and is what we've seen from the Saints. But I'm telling you what, the pressure is on in New Orleans, and you even see it. Oh, Sean Payton brings in uh, Taysom Hill, and they look to maybe do a, a deep pass play. But then the fumble happens, the pressure, and then you're saying, well, you took the ball out of Drew Brees' hands to put it in Taysom Hill's hands. I think there's more uh, more trouble in New Orleans and and more tension under the surface of the water than they'd like to admit. And for Green Bay, they look like if they can keep Adams healthy, that's a legit Super Bowl contender, like a legitimate Super Bowl contender, especially if they can add another piece, if they can get another dynamic weapon, a tight end or a, or a wide receiver, another deep threat guy. Uh, for Aaron Rodgers by the trade deadline, but maybe someone, you know, a, a bad team looking to ship out some parts as the season goes on. That Green Bay team looks legit, legit, legit. Um, you know, in New Orleans, I think there's a lot more tension under the surface than uh, than maybe what they're talking about. I think Green Bay w- would be fine uh, the way they are right now. I mean, I'd, your point about Devontae Adams is well taken. Obviously, he's one of the better receivers in the league, uh, and, the, and there's certainly a better team with him in it, but you know, the fact still remains that Aaron Rodgers has been able to find other receivers through these first two weeks. Even when Devontae Adams uh, took the large, large target share out of the offense, Aaron Rodgers was still finding eight receivers, seven receivers. Uh, yesterday we saw Alan Lazard on, on Marshawn Lattimore, mind you, was able to to rack up a, a huge amount of yardage. I don't know the exact uh, numbers. I think it was like seven catches for like 130 yards or something like that and a touchdown making big plays down the field. Aaron Jones, they still have a great running game, and Aaron Jones is showing himself to you know be one of the better running backs of the NFL as well, continuing from last year. Aaron Rodgers is, is much more equipped to handle an absence of Devontae Adams than Drew Brees is equipped to handle an absence of Michael Thomas because they don't have the ability to push the ball down to the field, to your point. Aaron Rodgers can still sling it 60 yards. So... And extend plays on top of it. So, you know, 
they're getting good all around play. Um, you know, you still want to see the the defense, um, you know, perform even a little bit better because last year the Packers defense was, you know, you know, running around with their hair on fire. One of, one of the, you know, better defenses in the league. They're kind of just, you know, been playing about the middle of the road right well, now. Well, the but Smith Aaron brothers haven't clear. showed up the way they did early last Correct. year. That's for sure. They got to get pressure on the quarterback. And again, I don't, I, I agree with you in part. I just think that's not sustainable without Devontae Adams. And even with Devontae Adams, I still would love to see him get another veteran weapon that's a trustworthy guy. A, a more... I think they need a tight end. They they really could have benefited from yes. uh, grabbing the Greg Olson in the offseason. Agreed, agreed. Like you know, they let Jimmy Graham go, and Jimmy Graham's having a nice resurgence in Chicago right now. Uh, but, yeah, I would love to see them get one more weapon offensively. And for the New Orleans, I, listen, I, it's still early. Uh, they're one and two. They've had a tough schedule so far. Um, but I would like to, I, I, I really do think there's more tension in the water than, than maybe it lets on. Uh, I also, the next game I want to go to Dan, um, is Rams bills. I thought that was the other really great early game against two teams that we both predicted. I mean, we both were high in the bills to win the division. I believe I had the bills winning the AFC East. I think you did as well. Uh, Josh Allen is showing up. He's balling out in his last, I think 11 games. I think I read, I saw a, a tweet uh, this morning from uh yes, this is from uh, Peter Schrager in his last 14 games, Josh Allen, 33 touchdowns, only three interceptions. I mean, this guy, not a lot of people talking about him. Not a lot of people getting, you know, national media attention. And I certainly don't necessarily, I mean, he's going to start entering the MVP conversation undefeated three and oh, they're looking good. But what I'd say more about Josh Allen is, and I think you're going to touch on this later in the show, so I don't want to spend too much time on it. He's got a great supporting cast. They went out and got him the perfect weapon. We talked about this last week with Stephon Diggs, and uh, they're really balling out. Now, defensively, they got they did not make good adjustments in the second half. And Sean McVay, to his credit, the boy genius wonder, the genius card is full on back, I think, even in a loss for Sean McVay. Um, they they figured out that Bills defense in the second half. They made great adjustments. Jared Goff looked and good. And they're running the football. They're yes, finding a way to they're get, committing get to the run. Game. They are yep. committing to the run. They didn't get scared. They they realized a lot of these teams are starting to realize, hey, we got time to come back. Like, let's not panic. We can still run our offense. You, you know, if you go down 23, 8 to 3 and a half, that means in the second half, you can score 28 points. You know what I mean? Like, if, like it's, it, I just love this Rams team. I love this Bills team. That was a great matchup. It's one of those. I kind of wish it was the primetime matchup so you could just focus on it. You know, obviously I'm watching my team and or, you know other games in the noon hour. Uh, but kudos to them as, as through the highlights. Love, love, love where both these teams are headed. And uh, that NFC West on uh, these the opposite of the AFC East. And we talked about that at, B, at NFC East to the, uh, uh, in the preview uh, of the you know, podcast one or two. Is that I, I tell you what, man? This NFC, that NFC West is logjam. It's Stacked. it's it's big, especially with the Niners. You know, picking up the win. It's such shorthanded to stay atop. That was a huge win for the Niners too. Talking about the NFC West. Yeah, the Bills were definitely on my radar for that one, and you know, uh, going up as big as they were, it was it was a little troublesome to see that the defense did let the Rams get back in it. You're you know you're right about Sean McVay dialing up some. Um, you know, great plays and making good adjustments to actually pull them back in it and almost win the game. So the Rams are legit for sure. The Bills are for real. They control the East, um, hands down, in my opinion. A uh, couple other things. Yeah. Oh, yeah, go ahead. No, no, no. From that game, or did you want to move on? Because there's a couple games that I could rifle through pretty quick. 
you know, the, the quick thoughts on them. Uh, and, and there's, there's one or two other games I want to get to though, that are, that I have some strong thoughts on. For sure. Yeah. Go for it. Uh, I had a couple that I wrote down as well. And, and, and that'll, those will be quick. If I miss so, any, yeah, if I miss any, it. stop me, but uh, quickly, oh, okay. Br- Washington Browns, kudos to the Browns. I mean, this is one of those games you should win. If you're Cleveland, you just have more talent. Dwayne Haskins uh, starting to look like deer in the headlights overmatched, you know, uh, and, 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 it's going to be interesting now to see Washington, uh, Bengals, Jags, Jets, Giants. You start to see these bottom feeder teams, and you start to look at, all right, a lot of these teams may already be looking now at next year, especially with the Chase Young uh, hamstring injury. Kudos to the Browns, though, for being the Browns. I mean, it's a lot of pressure to Kevin Stefanski. You have a number one overall pick quarterback. you got OBJ. you got Landry. you got all these two great tight ends, but yet you stay to the run which is the identity of your team right now, and those two great running backs. So kudos to them being over 500 for, what, the first time in, like, five years or something like that? Yeah. Uh, it's an insane, insane stat. Um, uh, I also want to uh, quickly uh, – 49ers-Giants, touch on a little bit. I mean, dude, you got to love, love Shanahan. I mean, this guy – Absolutely. And, and, and what did I say? So kudos, all the kudos in the world to Shanahan and for that Niners team – for coming in, they played angry. I didn't again didn't watch a minute of this game. Watched all the highlights though. They they played angry, got after it, and Daniel Jones and that and and Joe Judge coming on out. His comments after the game, I, I mean, that could have been our bold strategy. We're going in a different direction, but I mean, talking about we got to turn this program around. This it's like, dude, it's not a college. Like, what are you doing? And what did I say? <laughs> right. What did I say in the preview shows in our first episodes? I was I all like I wanted to wait and see with Joe Judge. I felt like it could be a disaster. It's looking like it's it is turning into an absolute nightmare for Giants fans. Yeah, this is not going in in the right direction at all. They are they're quickly in trouble here. Um, and you know maybe that's the way uh, at the end of the season that they want it uh, because you know as we'll kind of talk about a little bit later, they're they're right in the race there to get that you know number one pick. But uh, yeah. You know, to your point about like Joe Judge, it's like that's what your that's what your job to do is, is like. So you're already zero and three, and you're saying, "Well, we got to turn this, this program." It's <laughs> like, um, that was your job. <laughs> like, that's why you brought th- in. That's your job. They like, fired and, you the know, last guy. You're the <laughs> so, turnaround guy. Turn. What are you doing? You know, it's do, embarrassing. Do quotes. your job, my man. Embarrassing quotes. Uh-huh. Uh, some others I want to rifle through quick. I mean, you could say the same. It's basically the same thing. The Colts Jets game. Colts starting to figure it out. Colts defensive line. That Buckner underrated move you forget about in the offseason. Buckner from the Niners to the Colts. Yeah. They are playing great on both sides of the line. Offensive line, defensive line. Um, the Colts, uh, you know, Phil Rivers is still a little bit of a liability. But, again, kudos to the Colts taking care of a very bad Jets team. The Jets are absolutely falling apart. Um, the Panthers, Chargers, um, Justin Herbert, you know, second time out, you start to see a little more of the rookiness. Kudos to the Panthers for uh, picking up a picking up a win there, and, and for the Chargers, you know that uh, they got their guys going. Eckler and they and they got uh, you know uh, um, the wide receiver um, um, uh, Keenan, Keenan Allen. Allen going. Like, yeah, absolutely. He's getting it to the guys to help him make plays. So you like to see that. And I think the Panthers are, are better than people give them credit for, and they're going to hang around. A, they're going to be hanging around a six-win team this yeah, year. Yeah, we both we, because Bridge Bridgewater's the guy. Yeah. you know, like he he can he's efficient enough to get you, keep you in games. And we're talking about a team that's without their only their 
they're the the guy that yeah. that offense runs through with Christian McCaffrey. Mike Davis did great in relief, former Bear. Yeah. Um, you know, Teddy Bridgewater, you know, kept them out of the turnover column. That's what you're you're expected to do. And uh yeah, like the defense did what they had to do. Look, they almost gave it up and they probably you know, the, the Chargers probably should have won it. Did you see that final play? I know. Because it's, I mean, they, if, if that guy, if that's executed properly, that's a touchdown, yep. you know, without a doubt. But regardless, they got the win, you know, good for Matt Rule to get that first one. And uh, quickly, um, kudos to the Lions bouncing back. I had a feeling about that. I talked about that in my show on Saturday morning. Um, and Kyler Murray, you know, there was a lot of Kyler Murray hype. He had a step back game and, and, and that three, you know, a little bit of that, okay, he's you're going to still have these bumps and bruises. Young quarterback, young coaching staff. Um, I still feel good about the the Cardinals and the direction they're heading. Uh, but, you know, Matt Patricia, I was really hard on him last week. Of the guys who um, I was pooping on last week, he was the only one that really stepped up. And, and game plan seemed like it worked. Defensively, they improved. That's a tough offense to go against. And, you know, it seemed like the guys in the Detroit locker room actually responded to their coach compared to the Jets and the Falcons, which we'll talk about here uh, in just a bit. Uh, and, Dan, another game, and then you can give thoughts on these two, uh, Bucks, Broncos. No one really watched this game because it was the America's Game of the Week slot. So everyone gets the Fox game. No one gets the Broncos and, and Bucks. Bucks are rolling now. Bucks are in high gear, and this Bucks defense looks good. Obviously, the Broncos offense is bad. I expect the Broncos to play Blake Bortles, start Blake Bortles this Thursday night. Now they got him in. He'll be there like t- about two weeks by that point in time. Driscoll it, it looked way – I mean, again, great uh, Bucks defense, but just looked bad. Um, they need to run the ball. I mean, let's be honest. The Broncos need to just commit to get the ball in Lindsey and Gordon's hands and just live with that. Live with that right now. Uh, they need to redevelop some offensive, uh, maybe go back to the drawing board a little bit offensively uh, to try and salvage some things. I mean, their season's you know, doesn't look like it's going anywhere uh, at this point in time. But kudos to the Bucks, They get rolling. And that's one of those trap games for a good team on the road against no quarterback. And uh, kudos for them for picking up a win. What are your thoughts on those two? Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I think the the Bucks are starting to show their their true form, and I think the run game is only going to develop more and more as the season goes on. So that's great news for them. Tom Brady seems to be, you know, e- each passing week, and it's you know it was to be expected, is um, you know getting more and more comfortable in this Bruce Arians offense. And as you mentioned, I mean their defense is really good. They have a ton of playmakers, and that linebacking core is incredible. So they're. I mean, Shaq Barrett and, and you got Levante David and Devin White. Like, these guys are absolute beasts. Um, they can fly around. They tackle well. This team is going to be hard to beat as the year goes on. They already are. So, with the way the Saints are looking right now, uh, it's looking more likely that the Bucks actually are going to win this division. Yeah, which... now, Obviously, there's a lot of games to go. But, but look, the, the Bucks. you know, I had them at 11-5 and five with a wild card. I was high on the Saints. Uh, clearly there are a lot of issues there in New Orleans. And, you know, if they don't get Michael Thomas back very, very soon, uh, there's going to be some real danger there of, of it not being even a contest yeah. for the division. So, you know, kudos to Tampa Bay for getting that done. A couple other things I, I thought real quick. Minnesota are pretenders. They're not contenders anymore. I mean, there's I, I just don't know what else to say. I mean, we talked about the Vikings last week. It's 
It's just brutal. You were it's, high it's, on the Vikings. I good. was not. Yeah. I saw this coming yeah. from a mile away. I will pat myself on the back with that. But I have to say, honestly, so much of that is, to me, it was just such writing on the wall. I mean, uh, and, and, and it's hard. It is hard because our brains, our dumb football brains, right? You're like, well, they were good last year. Uh, they should be pretty good again this year. Like, and, and overall, the roster is fairly the same, and you replace Diggs with Jefferson, and, and you think to yourself, you can convince yourself, but man, oh, man, Cousins just is bad. He's playing bad football. And again, kudos to the Titans. They've been in three tight games, and you could argue, oh, the Titans, they're a bad 3-0 team. They're finding a way to finding win games. Finding a way to win games. And again, it's just like the Bears. All you can just do like is keep Bears. winning games. Keep winning games. I, I'm, you know, yeah. the Vikings, man. Uh, again, long season. I just gave their defense too much credit, and and I still think on paper they have like one of the best defenses in the league based on the talent they have. But it's just not coming. It's not coming together. And having to be on the field all the time doesn't help. It's just, you know, Dalvin Cook's a really talented running back. They can't get that going. You know, Thielen will show up for a couple games, but he can't be the number one all the time when you got no other receivers. Justin Jefferson had a big game, but you know, it's just it's clearly not sustainable. And I think to your point that you made. Uh, either last week or the week before that, you know, Stefanski's um, missing presence uh, may very well be like rearing its ugly head now for, for Minnesota. So, I mean, that's, that's just where we stand right now. And, and, you know, it's, it's pretty obvious that um, they're not going anywhere anytime soon. And the offensive line looks terrible. Yes, uh, it, so. it does. It's, it's bad. It's bad. And, you know, and it warms my heart as a Bears fan to see Minnesota. Cause they, I mean, there are a lot of talk back, a lot of clap back, and, and I'll just quickly say this. This is through, including, fully including yesterday's performances. Fully including. Kirk Cousins through three full games, five touchdowns, six interceptions, 623 yards. Trubisky, including when he got pulled and didn't play basically the second half, six touchdowns, three interceptions, 560 yards. So, I mean, Trubisky is, is playing better football than Kirk Cousins right now. That's how bad Kirk Cousins has been, and obviously Trubisky gets pulled. Uh, but before we jump into our our, our uh, you know our, our other segments, I want to give you time because I know what you're talking about for your main thing. So I do want to give you time uh, for the Steelers. So let me just say quickly, easy. it was such an easy call that the Patriots were going to beat the Raiders. High emotional win for the Raiders. Tough loss for the Patriots. That's oh, just the way the NFL works, and the Patriots are legit. To me, the Patriots still look right right now, like they are in that class of top four teams in the AFC. You could argue with Steelers look good, uh, and 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 man, the 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 Texans. I, I had I, I, I again. It's it's kind of like the Vikings. I thought they'd be taking a step back. I had them as the last wild card spot. They need to really. I don't know what they need to do to get going. It is bad, bad, bad in Houston. And with the Eagles and Bengals, I'm biggest whiff maybe of my life right now, picking the Eagles to win 12 games. Biggest whiff of all time. I feel so good about so many other picks, but the maybe the biggest whiff of all time is the Eagles. So uh, finish up with those, and uh, I, I do want to hear your thoughts on your Steelers, man. Yeah, we both we both whiffed on the Eagles, and it's just it's it's not happening, you know. And and I based pretty much the majority of it on Doug Peterson, a Super Bowl winning coach, with a with a healthy Carson Wentz leading the offense after taking them. Um, you know, I, I figured an eight and eight season last year um, with you know uh, a renewed you know healthy off season, getting ready, hopefully a healthy receiving core that things would have gone better. 
obviously the offensive line is uh, even worse than it was last year, which is hard to imagine. And then the receiving core has also just been consistently injured. They just can't stay healthy. And on top of it, um, they're not making enough plays to win. So, you know, case in point, just the Eagles are in panic mode right now, as are the Cowboys and the Saints. Um, As for the Steelers and Texans, look, I actually, you know, we were talking about this a little bit beforehand, but I I thought the Texans had a really good shot to win that game coming in. I just felt like it, it things were set up. You know, the Texans hadn't won yet. The Steelers really hadn't played uh, a quarterback that, you know, is considered one of the better quarterbacks in the league and someone as elusive as Deshaun Watson. And while they didn't play great in the first half trying to keep Deshaun Watson from extending plays, uh, they were able to shore things up defensively in the second half. And this offense, I mean, that's that was the most encouraging thing from the win is how the offense has, has looked again now through three weeks. Uh, the rust continues to shake off for Big Ben, and they are able to not only contend in, in a shootout if they need to, they, they can clearly sling it. You know, Big Ben has uh, thrown for multiple touchdowns each game and, you know, came out with three touchdowns in the opening week. Um, he has looked good. His pocket presence is getting better. His footwork is continuing to improve. That's something that he said he's been having issues with, but it looks better. And they can run the football. They're the only team in the NFL this season to have a 100-yard rusher in each game. Yeah. And that kind of falls under the, you know, because they it's don't, huge. you know, in, in the past couple seasons since Le'Veon Bell left, they haven't been kind of uh, looked at as a team that can, you know, run the football consistently. So far, they're showing that that they're able to do that. And if they can keep that going, uh, they have a really good shot to to win a lot of games. And, you know, next week against the Titans, I'm really looking forward to because that's going to be um, – you know, that's going to be a very telling contest. Both teams 3-0, and both teams, like, if you get to 4-0, and you're looking really, really good. So um, that, that'll that be a big test for them. But happy with the way that they were able to corral Deshaun despite, you know, how bad of an offensive line he's working with. J.J. Watt was pretty much held off the stat sheet. Um, and, and we're talking about a, a guy making his, you know, first year as a starting right tackle, uh, having to deal with him. So a lot of good things there from the Steelers. Um Got to feel good. Steers three and zero, Bears three and zero. Our teams are are off to good starts. Maybe at the end of the at the end of the podcast, we'll play a little fun game. We can we can go through the undefeated teams and do a little contender or pretender really quick. while we feel? I about, like it. I yeah, like that. for sure, for sure. Yeah, yeah. We'll take a few minutes to do that at the end. Uh, but before we do that, obviously, we'll get to our headlines. And before our headlines, we'll go with the bold strategy. Cotton quote of the week and this is kind of a two-parter because the quote came from two players and it's basically identical so i'll just paraphrase uh obviously we got a big monday night contest mark coming up here between the kansas city chiefs and the baltimore ravens defending uh, super bowl champions the def- you know def- reigning mvp um you know head to head you got lamar jackson versus patrick mahomes really exciting matchup probably the matchup of the season at least so far that uh, we're all going to be looking forward to the talk of the town and both quarterbacks um, have said that they are approaching this Monday night football contest, just like any other game, just like any other game uh, for both of them. Another week in the NFL. And, you know, it's, it's become a platitude from, you know, NFL quarterbacks particularly, but just, you know, people at the podium throughout the years, just to, you know, we approach every week, like we're Oh and Oh and, you know, just got to go one and no and all that stuff. And look, a lot they it's it's a cliche because it's true. But here's the thing. It's it's prime time. And, you know, even coaches like Mike Tomlin, who are, are very like, 
you know, stern and, and, and by, by standards and, and very regimented and structured, we'll even admit that, you know, primetime games often do have a different feel. Uh, they're under the lights. You have an extra day of pre- preparation. Um, and oftentimes it's a, it's a good matchup for a reason. These two teams obviously know that it's, it's a battle for the top dog in the AFC at this point in the season right now. And, you know, Lamar's going against Patrick Mahomes. It's two quarterbacks considered to be the two of the best in the league. There's definitely extra emotion from the teams in general coming into this contest. I think it's a bold strategy because it's so not bold. You know what I mean? Like, it is the most, exactly. it's the most exactly. quarterback speak thing for them both to say. Which, me, if I was a fan of both teams, or if I was their coaches or I was their owners, I would be like, oh, a million percent. That's exactly what I want to hear. I will flip the coin and say this. Patrick Mahomes has zero pressure on him. Zero. He is in now the category of Wilson, Breeze like he was for years, uh, uh, Big Ben like he Rogers. was for years, Rodgers, where once you get one, there's no pressure on Mahomes until I'm going to say, oh, about 2022. That Honestly, like in the regular season games – and, and now, now, uh, God, that's that's obviously barring massive collapses and, you know, 0-16 next year, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But you know what I'm saying? Like, there's zero pressure for him going into this game. And I think – I won't spoil who I think is going to – I like to win because we'll pick it at the end really quickly. But I, I think there's a ton of pressure on Lamar. I think there's a ton of pressure on the Ravens. They're at home. They are a team that – now two years straight, and we're really hot going into the playoffs with Lamar Jackson. We're we're looking like world beaters going into the playoffs with Lamar Jackson. Two two straight years now, and duds, massive eggs from Lamar in the playoffs. That starts to weigh on you. That starts to feel like uh, James Harden when he gets in the playoffs. I win MVPs. I get number one seeds. I dominate in the regular season. And then the playoffs come up, I get tight, I, I choke, I whatever it may be, whatever words you want to use. So a lot of pressure on Lamar. And so I will say this, I think this is like one of those moments, uh, I equated this on my, on my show on Saturday morning. It's a very bad analogy, but it's my own Colin Coward coming out. It's like, okay. it's like imagine, you know, Hugh Jackman, if he got offered a role on Broadway right now, right? And a starring role. And then, and then, you know, opposite, you know, another guy playing the opposite of him, you know, Hamlet or whatever, and he's Hamlet, and this other guy's McDuff, and Hugh Jackman's already got a Tony. He's got his Oscar. He's he's accomplished it all in the biggest moments. That's Mahomes. With this other guy, he is the, you know, maybe the regional actor who's won some awards, got a lot of hype, a lot of hype about this guy, but this is his first time starring on Broadway next to the all-time great, and you got to compare it, right? The pressure's all on the young guy. The pressure's on the other guy. No, no pressure on Hugh Jackman. You know, he's going to be Hugh Jackman. Even if he lays an egg and he's not great tonight, you're like, well, there's still it's Hugh Jackman. That's, you know, that's what Mahomes has given himself. He's given himself that cushion. And so Lamar, there is that pressure, and I think Lamar has got to show up tonight, and um, they've got to show that they can win these games at home, and they got to show that when the big-time players show up and when these big time moments they play big and they don't shrink and can they get out in front play from ahead we'll see i'll make my pick at the end of the end of the show 
if you want to establish yourself as the class of the AFC, you have to earn it. Tonight is his opportunity to earn it. Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens can stake their claim and say, no, we, this, this conference goes through us. And that's what the big, cause, cause to your point, the chiefs have already made that statement over their body of work in the past two years and able to get being the super, defending Super Bowl champions. They entered the season being, Oh no, no, no. The Super Bowl runs through us. We are yeah. the defending champions. You got to beat us to get there. Well, this is the first step for Baltimore to say, no, this is our year to, to make that run, to get that, that done. So I, I agree with you there. And I'll just say, look, I get it from the quarterback speak. It's great. Uh, I, I'm not as hung up maybe on it as you are. I know you liked them to be very, um, you know, rigid and just very matter of fact in their approach to the podium. And, and I am that way to an extent. But at the same time, I see no problem with just acknowledging, yeah, hey, we get to go up against the defending <laughs> Super Bowl champions. So, yeah, it's a great opportunity for us. We're really looking forward to it. You don't have to say in any uncertain terms like, this is the uh, only game that matters, or this is the game yeah. that is clearly Fair. above all the other games this year. All you have to say is it's a great opportunity for us. We're going up against the defending champions. They're undefeated. They're trying to prove something. We're at home. Uh, we, we got to be able to come out and get a win. And I and I see no problem with that. So they, you know, they could have maybe acknowledged, I guess, the, uh, the intensity of the moment a little more. But whatever. I mean, it is what it is. Um, just still interesting nonetheless that uh, they're treating it like any other game because uh, all the fans for sure are not. This is a big one, no doubt, when you just look at it objectively. All right, Mark. So heading into our headlines uh, for this week, the Football Lounge headliner. And look, I'll start with this because my main topic here is that environment matters. And I'm not going to be providing any, you know, it's not an epiphany for anyone out there that environment matters in anything you do in life. Um, but to the point, it, th- this occurs in any field, uh, in, in any profession. If you don't go to the right place, especially coming right out of college, there there is a window there where unless you are able to overcome certain circumstances and pull from within and find a way to continue to learn despite obstacles in your way, there is a chance that your potential could be crushed for years down the road if you're not in the proper environment. So if you go to a place that's got poor management, that has... Uh, you know, poor regional oversight uh, that has a culture of really not being competitive in whatever market they're in. And you're a young person with plenty of zest for the profession. You have a lot of good ideas that you're bringing to the table, but they're not really being rewarded because no one really wants to put the effort in or nobody, uh, you know, people a little bit too hard headed. The bosses want to do something a certain way. Then your potential is then either uh, suppressed or you then start to feel that you have to tailor your talents towards this particular structure. And maybe it would take years to unearth it once again, if you're not able to kind of have that uh, resiliency of overcoming the same goes with quarterbacks and especially young quarterbacks getting drafted to certain teams and certain environments. And I think nothing is kind of more exemplative of this fact 
then a look at the 2018 draft class because we're talking about a draft class that had one of the uh, most highly touted groups of quarterbacks uh, with five of them being drafted in the first round and uh, a lot of them in the top 10 there. Uh, obviously, I'm talking about Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, or not Patrick Mahomes, I'm sorry, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson. Um, you've got Sam Darnold, Baker Sam Mayfield. Sam Darnold, Josh Rosen, Baker Mayfield, exactly. So all of these guys, we can take a look at their situations currently and how they are doing in their respective locations. We talk about you can be a talented, you know, highly touted athlete coming out, but when in the wrong place, you can fade, and everyone wonders what could have been. Uh, you know, some names that come to mind for that, Derek Carr, or, or David Carr, Andrew Luck, um, even RG3 to an extent. Uh, some of these guys where you're like, man, if they were given a different opportunity or if they went somewhere else, what could be right now in 2020 for these quarterbacks or, you know, what could have been of their careers? Uh you know, obviously a lot of this rides kind of on the Josh Allen and Sam Darnold dynamic for me right now. Because Josh Allen, we're talking about a raw work in progress coming out of college. He was not an efficient quarterback. He was someone that was known to be a little bit too aggressive and not accurate and didn't necessarily have the skill sets to succeed right away. Sam Darnold came in as a much more polished guy out of USC, someone that could compete right away, someone that many said was probably the best quarterback in that draft class. And look where they're at now. They couldn't be in completely different situations. Josh Allen lighting it up in Buffalo. Sam Darnold, still everyone's having to question whether or not the issue is him or the issue is with the New York Jets. And here is where it all boils down to. Josh Allen gets into Buffalo. He gets a young, vibrant head coach in Sean McDermott who runs a tight ship, but lets the players be themselves, values defense, and tailors the offensive schemes to the skill sets of his said players. He let Josh Allen run with the football more than anyone expected. You remember that first year? Everyone's like, wow. Just leaping no over. How athletic. Yeah, leaping over Anthony Barr. And you're like, holy smokes. Like, this guy's way more athletic than we thought. And he was given the tools to succeed there. And then as the years went on over the last two years, he's got two young talented running backs with him. He has a uh, currently progressing offensive line that they've put some pieces into. They go out and get Stefan Diggs for him, all while maintaining a very solid and stable defense that helps keep him in games and gives and takes all a lot of the pressure off of him to constantly be playing from behind and have to be the guy that wins the games and makes the big plays for them all the time. And now we're seeing that he's been able to take this team to the, the lead of the AFC East and be competitive once again. The environment could not be a, a more stark contrast for Sam Darnold in New York. You go there, here we go. We, we're hiring Adam Gase to run the ship. We're going to bring in Le'Veon Bell here to be uh, the, the primary running back. Oh, wait, but we're getting a head coach that doesn't really like working with a featured runner and isn't really kind of his style. And he's not really a big fan of the move in general. And then on top of it, we're not really going to go out and get any free agent wide receivers, even if, you know, it, there's a wealth of talent out there on the market for anyone to go grab. We've seen the Texans make, you know, a wild trade 
uh, getting rid of DeAndre Hopkins. So it's not like that was even out of the realm of possibility if you're New York to just go make a big move if you want to help your young quarterback succeed. We all thought, at least I did, that Chris Herndon you know, was going to be a much bigger weapon than he's he's been. But outside of that, I mean, we're talking about Braxton Berrios, Chris Hogan. Or I, mean, I mean, at the end of the day, no offense to these players, but they're hand-me-downs at this point. So you're going to let a, your young quarterback grow in that system. How is, he, how is he supposed to reach his potential? We've seen flashes of it. We saw that great uh, play where he rolled left, threw across his body on a dime last week. It was incredible. And then we've also seen the moments, like last year with the seeing ghost game and all of these things. And yes, Darnold doesn't just get a free pass for a lot of these things. But at the same time, the culture of New York has never been conducive to winning, especially in recent years. The head coach in Adam Gase has not panned out anywhere he's went and has not created a winning culture there. And then on top of it, you're going to give him a failing offensive line. They did try to address it this past year, and obviously they've had some injuries. But no O-line, no run game, no receivers to speak of. What is this guy supposed to do? He's he's the young kid in a new, um, you know, starting his profession out straight out of college with a lot of promise and a lot of potential and no tools to actually succeed. And that is what I think we're seeing with Sam Darnold right now as the number three overall pick in the NFL draft to the New York Jets. And now they are 0-3. Darnold's 11-18 and overall. I mean, you want to talk about, you know, for, for all that's been said about Mitch Trubisky, he was given a, a pretty solid uh, supporting cast there. They gave him a head coach that is an offensive mind. They gave him Allen Robinson. They said, we're going to invest in the running back position. They said we're gonna we're gonna go and get Khalil Mack. We're gonna make this a dominant defense to help our young quarterback. And you know the fruits of that were that even though Mitchell Trubisky isn't the biggest talent in the world, he is able to have a winning record in the NFL still currently, largely because of that supporting cast. And so you're talking about a Sam Darnold who had, in my view, more potential than Trubisky and more ready for the NFL talent at the moment. And he hasn't been able to nearly reach that cap. And it's unfortunate. And it goes to show how much environment matters. And, you know, we could name countless examples. Kyler Murray, for instance, another one where, yeah, he's struggling, but man, they've given him the tools to succeed there. And they go out and get him DeAndre Hopkins and they get him a college uh, coach that runs the offense that he's familiar with. These are the things that make or break NFL careers and resurgencies like they don't happen very often. You know, they just don't quarterbacks that don't pan out in the first four years, hardly ever make that resurgence later in their career because it's either too late or they're either just not that good. But I think we're seeing right now, Sam Darnold being done a disservice for the situation he's been put in. I think you nail it, and I think it's the age-old NFL question. I mean, look at Baker Mayfield, three, four head coaches in three years. Every every single career in the NFL is about circumstance. Where you end up, you have to put context into everything. If the Chiefs would have gotten D- Deshaun Watson, do you think they'd still? Do you think we'd be, we'd talk about Watson the way we talk about Mahomes? I think it's very possible. 
you, Probably. And, and people yeah. always like to mention, oh, the Bears took Trubisky over Watson and Mahomes. Do you think if Watson and Mahomes was in Chicago, that they would be as good as maybe they are now? Maybe, maybe not. Like, it's it's all about the circumstance. Uh, it is the it is the classic NFL. If Patrick Mahomes was, was was the quarterback for the New York Jets, I have a very hard time believing that he is. Like obviously, I would say he wouldn't have a Super Bowl ring right now. But aside from that, even him on the stat sheet, he would flash. But the wins wouldn't be there. For yeah, him. no, I think it's a million percent. I think it's a million, and it's frustrating. And you're right, especially now with how many guys come out of college and are ready to go, and you get these general managers see this the flashy new thing. Uh, as opposed to something like Darnold where you see, oh, my gosh, he's got, you know, just marks all over his resume. We'll talk more about it later, I know, uh, in our what if, and I have some thoughts on that. But I think it's absolutely right, and we're seeing it. I think a lot of the recent draft classes are a great example of that environment. And, it, and again, it's a shame on those organizations for just being that inept. Remember, the Jets, by the way, they let their general manager draft. The draft was so bad, they fired him two days later Exactly. And then bring a new general yeah. manager in who's now got Darnold and Adam Gase. We didn't choose them to be there. I mean, that's how inept the Jets have been. And it's showing on the field. Like, when you have bad leadership in the in the front office, it shows up on the field because it's bad parts put together with bad leadership all around and a, and a head coach that I've been saying it now for weeks has got to go. Got to go. It's the same everywhere in every walk of life. The, it trickles down to the employees. It trickles down yeah. to the constituents. Because if the leadership isn't there at the top, you can't expect it to just come out of nowhere, um, you know, on the field or in the office or wherever. Million percent. All right. Uh, okay. So are we? Re- are we is it, are you ready? Are you ready? I'm ready for that. I've been ready for this for you know going on you know 24 hours. Now. So I will say this. Let me start with. I'm um, obviously my uh, Hespin headline is all about. You're, you're going to talk about the the you know Green Bay Packers. Yeah. Right? Yeah. All about yeah. uh, the Chicago Bears uh, win. Let me start by saying that it was a win uh, over the Atlanta Falcons. And let me say uh, this, th- and, and I think it's important, the, the, the Chicago Bears are the first team in NFL history to win two games in a single season where they were trailing by at least 16 points entering the fourth quarter. Week one against the Lions, and then obviously against uh, the uh, Falcons. I also want to say this. The Bears are outscoring their opponents 41-10 to in the fourth quarter of the season so far. I will say this as my, uh, as my, uh, 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 you know, a trusted uh, fellow Chicagoan and uh, confidant and lover of the Bears, Barstool Big Cat said this morning, I'm part of my take, I'm not going to apologize for a win. I, I am I'm a, a million percent always going to be thrilled with a win, no matter how it happens or what it looks like, because a win's a win and wins are hard to come by. That is very true. I will also say this. I'm trying to build up things, you know what I mean? I have been I have been the big, staunchest Mitch Trubisky supporter maybe there is. And I think a lot of it has to do because of environment. I think there's been things where I question the, the way they've handled him. I've questioned a lot of offensive decisions. But what happened with the Bears in that early third quarter and that pick that Trubisky threw, you can see it. Matt Nagy snapped. He lost it. The relationship died at that point for Matt Nagy. And I will say this. I am extraordinarily disappointed now later on the fact, learning post-game, Mitchell Trubisky stepped into the podium, which he deserves a million percent credit for showing up for the Zoom availability. He did not have to. And he stood there 
like a man, and he answered every question, and he answered them perfectly like a great quarterback speaker. He always does. And you wish Trubisky was almost an asshole or a dick or a, or a, or a, a loser or something because then it would be easy to just be like, get out of here, you're trash. But the, the dude is, a, is a, such a good guy, and I think he's going to have a very decent NFL long career because of that. Also, I think he's got skills where he can, he can play in this league. He can play in this league. And shame on Matt Nagy. Shame on him. I'm like a mother. Shame on you. You should apologize for him letting Bill Lazar, the offensive coordinator, tell Trubisky he was pulled, and Matt Nagy didn't do it himself. We learned that. And that's disappointing because Nagy, by all intents and purposes, has set a very good culture in Chicago. He's been a great leader, and he's and he has done a lot of great coach speak, and he's handled a lot of frustration well. But that's a shame, shame on you, Matt Nagy. And I'm a little disappointed. Now, maybe there's a reason for it, and I'm sure he's had conversations and he's talked with Mitch, and I'm sure it's like, well, heck, there's a lot going on. The decision happened quick, and he, he's got a, a game to coach, I know. But that's one of those, take the two seconds, even if it's two seconds, like, Mitch, you're out. Nick, you're in. You, that's got to come from him. Now, I'll say this. Let's get into it. My tweet that I've pinned and we can go to my Twitter right now, and I've it's been pinned there uh, since the day, literally the moment the Bears made the trade for Nick Foles. And I tweeted this. I want it on record now. This was January 1st, March 18th. COVID is raining rampant to the country. March 18th, 2020. I want it on record right now. I'm anti the Nick Foles trade for the fourth round pick. I will pin this tweet, and I pinned it. And it's still there. And I will leave it there. Because I was anti the trade for right reasons I still think are very valid. Now the Bears are in a mess. Now they're in a messy situation, right? You've let this get messy, and I am always going to be rooting for the Bears to win and succeed. And when Matt Nagy snapped, you could see it. He's done. The relationship's broken. So right now, Nick Foles does give the Bears the best chance to succeed because Matt Nagy, your head coach, clearly is done with the quarterback. He's done. He can't handle it anymore, feeling like he's being handcuffed by the quarterback. And clearly the Bears' offense got more expansive once Trubisky went to the sideline and Foles came in. Nagy trusts Nick Foles to run his offense. Now, the offense is less dynamic, in my opinion, because you lose Trubisky's athletic ability. But... It can run to a way that Nagy sees fit. And Nagy said it. He said it in the quote press, a post game. When Mitch threw the pick, and he said it very clearly, against zone, and he had a point of view about it, I knew that was it. So Nagy's clearly sitting there saying, how many times have I gone over this with him? In these moments, you're seeing zone. You can't throw that ball. He snapped. He lost it. And he made the decision. And it's a decision now that they have to live with, and they made it today that they're living with it. There's no quarterback battle. It is now Nick Foles' team for the, for the time being, and that's the right decision to make. So they're, they're, the damage control of this is, is going well. Um, and, he, and, and so it, clearly it was a snap decision. But what frustrated me, and I tweeted out, if you follow me on Twitter throughout, I, I was stunned that the leash was that short. And I was very disappointed that the leash was that short because I still think the best thing for the Bears throughout this year would have been to figure out a million percent 
if Mitch could finally really come together and go back to that 2018 Mitch and build off it. And from the first two weeks, we were seeing that he was at least 2018 Mitch and headed in the right direction. But 2019 Mitch showed up in the first half and your head coach lost it. And I don't necessarily blame Nagy for losing it. And here's why. Because their jobs are now on the line. Like, I mean, this is, let's be honest, Pace, his job is on the line. And when your general manager's job is on the line and that you're the head coach, that even though your job's not on the line, your job becomes on the line because if the general manager gets fired, they bring a new general manager in. What does the new general manager want to do? He wants to bring in a new coach and, coach and quarterback. So in, in turn, Nagy's job is on the line. And it gets to a point where Nagy says, bleep this. If I'm going down, I'm going down at least calling the plays I want to call and trusting in a guy who can run my offense. And at least so maybe I get another job saying, hey, look at look at my offense. So that's where it is. And it's just weird that it's happened to a team that's 3-0 and and actually is playing fairly good football at times. They still haven't put a complete game together, which is frustrating as a th- looking at a 3-0 team. But we're riding with Foles now. They have Foles. They're going to give him a full week of prep against a very good Indianapolis team. Overall, kudos to the Bears, again, for finding ways to win football games. I'm not going to apologize for a win. I'm sad to see the Mitch Trubisky era over uh, this quickly. I, I I fully thought Trubisky going into the season would play 16 games. You'd turn around and would put the Bears in a really tough spot. I do find some comfort now knowing the Bears are completely open for a quarterback, whether it's through the draft or a free agent in this offseason. It's completely open. And maybe it's open to the fact that, hey, you have Foles and you can draft a uh, a. Uh, uh, the kid out of Ohio State, or maybe it's Lance out of uh, North Dakota State. You make trades. Maybe there's, maybe you are in the Cam Newton sweepstakes next year. So there's options, uh, but and that's exciting. Uh, but that happened in a split second decision because a coach got really emotionally and frustrated because he could not handle a quarterback anymore that he felt wasn't playing the quarterback position the way it needed to be played in his offense. Now, all intents and purposes, I made the I made the point earlier. Mitch has been playing pretty good football by the standards of Kirk Cousins. But now, when you're coaching for a job and you're coaching to to win games and to stay alive, you got he makes that call. And and honestly, I'm glad the Foles came in and won the game because otherwise, then you would have been much more of a disaster. The Bears are in a much better spot now that Foles won that game. They they come out of there with a win. And you have positivity heading into next week as opposed to if Foles comes in, it's a disaster. Who do you start? Now it's a mess. And that's what I feared when I first pinned that tweet many, many months ago. Uh, right now they're avoiding that. But again, all we've seen from Foles be really, really good is one year with Chip Kelly and then a playoff run. Every time else we've seen Foles, he has not been great as a consistent starter. And now for all, to, all intents and purposes, he's the starter for the next 13 weeks. So we'll see what happens. And uh, this is the life of a Bears fan. What what else is new? Quarterback troubles. Um, honestly, Dan, it's still a lot to process. I know a lot of that didn't make a ton of sense, and I'm, I'm lost right now. I'm still rambling, trying to figure it out. I'll know a lot more how I feel and where the Bears are going to be at now. It's like week one all over again. I don't know. we got to see what this offense now looks like with Nick Foles against a very uh, a, apparently a very good defense and defensive line in the Indianapolis Colts. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I, I was surprised at how short the leash was as well because in our first what-if segment on our very first episode of this uh, podcast, 
we talked about what if Mitch Trubisky goes two and two because we were saying if he's four and zero, oh, then he's probably uh, you know keeping the job for the rest of the year. If he's zero and four, then there's no no chance that he's getting another start. But here we were, he's two and zero, oh, you know, on the precipice of losing the third game, and he's pulled. Um, but like you said, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, and when you look at it now that they were able to succeed and Nick Foles was able to pull out the win, it looks more and more like the right call. And it seemed just like Nagy would, that was the straw that broke the camel's back. And he, you know, but, but it, you know, was it really the all year, even when you were close to losing to the lions, you know, the, none of that. Well, that's what worries me. Caused, how close, you know, how thin was this leash? And it was a bunch of lying then from the front office and from the head coach from the bears about how much confidence they had in Mitch and how much he won the job. If the leash was really that short, I'll say this. Looking back on it, I I agree. In the moment, it was weird. But now I'm starting to think the decision may have been, if you're really that frustrated, Nagy, it may have been the right decision because if you have you you have it either way. If the if Foles comes in and stinks and they lose, then you say, listen, Mitch is our guy. I had it had to be a teaching moment. Like he has to know he can't throw that ball. Like he knows that, and I'm frustrated with my quarterback. But we got to go back to him, and we got to get better. So you could play it off that way to the media. Or since Nick comes in and plays well and he wins, you say, we're rolling with Nick. It's his job now. So they are, from a PR standpoint and from an attitude standpoint, the Bears are in a pretty good place considering the quarterback controversy that happened on Sunday. Yeah, yeah, totally agree with that one. And, uh, you know, as you mentioned, next week will be a test as they go against uh, one of the best defenses in the NFL. So. And I will now be waving the big dick Nick flag high as anyone can <laughs> because I just want to win football <laughs> games. That's what it's about. Absolutely. And this defense yeah. and this team, and Nagy said after the game, this is a special team right now. They're doing special things, kind of like the Titans, winning weird, winning wild. But if they can get it going, they can roll. And who knows, maybe some Foles magic. Uh, he's not the long-term solution. But maybe maybe this year they can uh, make a run and, and who knows, build off it. I, I don't know. We'll wait and see. And, and he's handled it well, relatively. Both the, the whole situation yes. from getting to Chicago, yes. They, they've both handled it well. And, you know, uh, it's, it's hard to root against Foles because obviously none of this is his fault. And he comes back and wins them the football game. So, you know, like you said, not going to apologize for a, for a win. Nope. You know, Foles has nothing to apologize for that as well. And uh, Matt Nagy, in terms of the decision, probably doesn't either. But I agree, he could have handled that better. You gotta tell Mitch, especially with all they've been through. That's your quarterback, your first quarterback when you come, you know, become a head coach. You gotta talk to him and and relay that message uh, on on your own. But yes, uh, that concludes our, our headlines there. So, you know, we went a little long. Uh, both of us did on ours, but uh, you know, they're they're very important topics at a at a kind of a pivotal moment of the season, albeit how early it is. So, I, I think it was warranted. Um, for kind of just what we had to rifle through there. And obviously the Bears' decision is probably the biggest quarterback. Um, you know, it's the only quarterback uh, controversy remotely in the whole league. So, uh, you know, there's a big spotlight on it for sure. Um, let's let's talk real quick about our what-if segment here, Mark. Um, we don't have to dwell too much on it, but we kind of talked about this, uh, you know, a little bit earlier, and we mentioned it uh, a couple episodes ago with the um, – Situation with Gardner Minshew and with the Jags take Trevor Lawrence. Well, what if the New York Jets or New York Giants get the first overall pick? And it's probably the most realistic what if that we've had yet because it's looking very, very likely that one of these two is going to be it. it. 
the New York Jets, you know, I couldn't, I, I will eat crow for sure because, like, I'm already ready to mail it in. The Jets are, are going to be just absolutely you said awful the Jets this year. And They're Giants, probably, we, I, could, I got to go back and check the tape, but you were pretty high on both those teams when I was. I, was not, I wasn't high on the Giants. You said I just they wasn't, could win, like, six games. I said they were, like. That, how is that well, high right, on the right, team? You but you were high on the Jets. Games. You were very high on the Jets. <laughs> I, I, I thought the Jets were going to go 8-8, eight 9-7, and, eight, and seven, and uh, I couldn't have been more yeah. wrong. I could All not right, but we digress. What is the one? But. But yeah, so so what happens if they get the first overall pick? Either team. I mean, are they moving on directly? Are they getting Trevor Lawrence and trading away Darnold, trading away Jones? I have two strong thoughts on this. And um, first off, if I'm the Jets, I 100%. If I'm running the Jets right now, I'm Woody Johnson, the owner of the Jets. I'm already firing Adam Gase by the end of the year. So I'm starting with a brand new head coach. That's a given. So a whole new staff. If I get the first pick, I will also take... Uh, I will take Trevor Lawrence because that means I get the guy who we know is the the dude, best quarterback prospect since Andrew Luck coming out of college. I get him, and I get a head coaching. I get a new head coaching staff, so I can pair them together. My let my GM get a coach, get a guy, and get the guy at quarterback. If I'm the Jets, I do it, and then you trade Darnold. See what you can get from him. Maybe a second rounder, a second and a, a seventh. You know what I mean? Like try to build up some picks. And you then you then go what the like the Bengals did all in on can we protect our young guy and we and, and we build around it now from the Giants I don't think the Giants pull the trigger and part of the reason is is because first off I think it's just a, a year thing Giants have Daniel Jones only his second year so the Giants organization could say we're not bailing on this guy and the Giants aren't going to fire Joe Judge after one year. Because then Dave Gettleman, and he's got to go too. You can't run through that many coaches. So I think the Giants, if they get the number one overall pick, they can sell this. Listen, listen. We didn't have Saquon. Uh, Daniel Jones is still young. It's our first year with Joe Judge. We're going to trade this pick for a bevy. Who wants it? Come get it. Give us your first, a future first, some uh, some second and third rounders for this year, and we're going to try to rebuild this thing with the guy, we believe in Daniel. We believe in Joe Judge. They got to sell it like that. I just don't think the organization can quick turn that way uh, because you still seen flashes from Daniel Jones. Now, listen, if I was the Giants, I would draft him and I would get rid of Joe Judge. But I wouldn't have done it. Like I just, I'm trying to predict what will actually happen. I think the Jets would do it. The Giants won't do it. If I were either team, I would do it. Yeah, I think if you're if you're the GM, especially for the Jets, and you're Joe Douglas, you know, recently got hired there. You know, only one draft class in as a as a he didn't even manager. draft it. He he yeah well yeah yeah exactly exactly. So but he he's he's worked with with one full draft class right yeah. like so so he's had he's had the one year of um, composition within the football team and, and dealing with Adam Gase. Obviously, you got to fire the guy for sure. Um. That being said, you get Trevor Lawrence and you you stake you're starting your general manager career with the Jets, essentially on the best note you possibly could by getting uh, a potential future Hall of Famer and you know a ten year franchise quarterback. Like no doubt, you trade Darnold, you get those picks, and you're able to kind of take over the reins here if you're Joe Douglas now how he goes about it you know that's going to be the key is okay you got Trevor Lawrence now how are you going to how are you going to stack this team because you're not going to let Trevor Lawrence get absolutely destroyed his first two years in the NFL and same word you know, we had about Burrow we talked about it last week you cor- got to protect correct. him you got to protect him correct 
And Burrow seems to have the talent to overcome, e- even though they're not winning winning football games. He he's overcoming a lot of shortcomings. Lawrence does too, uh, it, and and Lawrence is equipped to do that. Uh, but that being said, you you want to give him the longevity for a career. You don't want Andrew Luck was able to overcome, but ruptured his spleen eight years not not, not six seven years down the road. Yeah. So. That's the biggest issue there. Um, I agree the Giants would probably be better served to just uh, – or, or, or Dave Gettleman, for sure, is more in line with stacking picks and making all these picks and, and creating, you know, uh, dynamic first-round selections throughout the defense and the offensive line, whatever they need be. They already got Saquon Barkley. They, they've got, you know, a star on offense already. Um, I would agree, though, if, if – one of us, if we're the GM, you're. I'm. I can't envision a situation outside of Kansas City, uh, Baltimore, and maybe a few others where I would, where I'm not taking Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, for sure. Um. So, so you know, that's it's a small grouping there. Um. Uh, but you know, he's the guy. I think we're super high on him. I mean, dude, if he if he pans if he ends up not being a good quarterback, there's gonna be a lot of people everyone's that are gonna wrong. have to eat. Yeah, pro- like everyone wrong. is so yeah. wrong. Um, but it doesn't, it doesn't look like, uh, that's going to happen at least, um, at least right now. So that's, uh, that's where we stick on that. Uh, Trevor Lawrence going first overall, it's just whether or not they'll take him. Um, I think the giants don't, I think the jets do, I think they both should. Um, finally, um, and, and we will maybe do our, our pretenders or contenders uh, next week when we get, sure. uh, you know, maybe, maybe we'll look at, at the hierarchies of the divisions and kind of see how they're stacking up right now. Um, but just to close out the show, Mark, our Monday Night Football predictions, it's the game uh, we've already talked about, the game everyone's been waiting for. Chiefs at Ravens. Ravens laying three and a half at home against the Chiefs. You mentioned the pressure that Lamar Jackson has. Does he pull this out and do the Ravens cover that three and a half spread? Can I just first start by saying I'm undefeated right now on the Monday Night, uh, the picks here, and, uh, and nailing go. these. Yeah. I'll just tout my own, to my own horn. Uh, pretty <laughs> much everything's going right for me except for the Eagles right now. Uh, but... I will say this. I actually like the Chiefs here. I like the Chiefs um, because of what I said earlier. The pressure's on Baltimore. And when you play with pressure, if they get behind even uh, remotely, I just think that that builds and snowballs. I like Kansas City to come out. They had a rough win against the Chargers. It was a weird game where they weren't expecting it. I think the, I think the Chiefs take care of business. I, I, just, I, I think the Chiefs have a special to them. And I know that Baltimore probably one through fifty three is a better roster, but I love Andy Reid. Uh, you know, I, I trust him in these moments, in these regular season games. I like the Chiefs to take care of business tonight, and uh, I like to cover. Follow me on Twitter at Mark Espen. I've been on fire. I was handed. I had a three winners yesterday. So listen, if you want to make a little scratch, uh, <laughs> follow me there. I, I I got the Chiefs covered, and I and I put a little bit of money on. Uh, on uh, another future bet, you follow me on Twitter. You can get that content. So there. you're not going to money money line the Chiefs. Oh, I got the Chiefs in the money line. That's I got them. Oh, okay. I, took the, I, I, got, I, you, I got the Chiefs well, on the money. You just said line. cover, so I was just making. Well, sure. yeah, that too. But I I got them on the money yeah, line. Yeah. I put money on the Chiefs on the money line. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, I I have Baltimore um, covering uh, three and a half. I think they win by by four or five. Um, I just think uh, you know all the things you mentioned. Uh, look, that the Chiefs uh, defensively. I haven't been super hot. The Chargers took them down to the wire. Uh, you know, they're they're a team that 
hasn't been super impressive for the standards of which they entered the season with. On the flip side, Baltimore's been taking care of business week in and week out. Look, they're both three, uh, two and zero oh coming into this game. Uh, but I think the Ravens at home, better defense, um, still equipped to go toe to toe offensively. Uh, but I think the Ravens are able to control the time of possession a lot more. I think they're able to run the football effectively in this one, and I think they cover. I think it'll still be a close game. But uh, my prediction here was uh, about 30-24 to 24, uh, in favor of the Ravens, um, give or take a point or two, they still cover. Um, so that's that's kind of my prediction right now. And, uh, you know, we'll see how it pans out. I'm 2-1 and one on my Monday Night Football predictions. You're 3-0. and oh. We'll see if we can even this playing field come into entering next week. Dude, I, a lot. Can't wait for next weekend. A lot of great games looking ahead already. Uh, I, I'm so excited it, that Steelers Titans 3-0, and 3-0. Uh, you have the, the, the 0-3 bowl, the Vikings and the Texans. Someone's going to pull the 0-4. Some, someone's got to get. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Can't wait for next week. And uh, I know follow me on Twitter. Follow the pod on Twitter. Um, uh, we, we like to have a lot of fun with it and get, and get engaged. I can't wait for tonight's game. At Mark Hespin, at Dan Vasco, at FB Lounge Pod on Twitter. Follow us on Facebook as well, the Football Lounge with Mark and Dan. Thank you all so much for joining us, and we'll see you back here next week.